don't even remember all of it. In fact, I can guarantee that I don't. But I want to hit the high points with you. These points are important for us to remember as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't keep these things in mind, uh, we kind of get swallowed up by life. And we find ourselves, uh, rather than drawing near to the Lord, we find ourselves uh, defeated. We find ourselves uh, uh, not living the way that we know that we should. And uh, we find ourselves uh, as defeated Christians. So today we're talking about getting it right about living the life. Our theme verse has been Galatians 2, verse 20. Would you stand with me for just a minute? We're going to read this verse together. Hopefully you... uh, have memorized it by now. If you haven't, please do. Let's read together. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. You may be seated. So what are some of the facts we need to remember? Fact number one, I have been crucified with Christ. There is a lot of uh, discussion of what in the world does that mean? I wasn't alive 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified, so how could I be crucified with Christ? It's interesting that I have a number of books still in my library. A lot of them I've given to my son-in-law, Tim Cool or his study, since he's a pastor. But as I try to look through these things, uh, you come up with different ideas and interpretations of what does it mean to be crucified with Christ. And uh, so as you sort through those things and pray through them, uh, I believe that uh, you come up with this idea. Number one, it's not talking about a physical crucifixion, obviously. I haven't been nailed to a cross physically, neither have you. It's more or less a figure of speech. In the New Testament, there are a number of things that are said to be true of us because of our connection with Jesus Christ. For instance, uh, we uh, are in Christ. Uh, We uh, have been risen or resurrected with Christ. And so you find these figures of speech to basically teach us what our relationship with him is like and what the results of his death and resurrection mean to us now 2,000 years later. The idea, the theme in the New Testament of being in Christ is God sees me as being one with him, being united with him, being connected to him. In the eyes of God, that's how he sees me. That's how he sees you if you are a believer in Christ. And the idea of being crucified with Christ is the idea that when Christ died for my sin, I was included in that somehow, in the mind of God. Its power over me has been broken because of Christ's death for me. His crucifixion counts for me as if I had been crucified. And then, as I've already mentioned, you have the term risen with Christ in Scripture. When he arose, I was included. His resurrection counts for me. And because he arose, 
I will rise also one day at the resurrection. One of the parallel passages in the New Testament that's good for us to study and meditate on, and it takes thought and it takes meditation. Medication. (laughs) It might take some of that too. It's Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, if you try to read through it, you're going to say, wow, that's, that's, that's interesting. But again, it is the same, same theme, uh, the oneness with Christ, his death, our death to sin, and so on and so forth. So I'd encourage you to meditate on that passage of Scripture this week as you think about your connection with Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, so keep that in mind. In the mind of God, that is a fact. It's not something that is future. It is something that is true of you today. Fact number two, Christ lives in me. The idea is that living the life is about relationship. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. We gave you kind of this little uh, formula. Jesus laid down his life for me. Why? So he could give his life to me so he can live his life through me. Now what's interesting is I was thinking about that this week is most Christians stop in their understanding of salvation after that first phrase, Jesus laid down his life for me. Most of us as Christians would agree, yes, Jesus died for my sins 2,000 years ago. But why did he do that? Did he do it just so that you could go to heaven by and by one day when you die? Or is there more to it than that? Well, there is more to it than that. He laid down his life for you so he could give you his life to you. And when the, the Bible says that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive what? eternal life. What is eternal life? It is the life of Christ given to you. It is the life of Christ, spiritual life imparted to you, which gives you then the potential to live differently than you did before. Without that, you don't have that potential. And if your understanding of Christianity and the Christian life is simply that of forgiveness of sin, you will probably never be able to really live a Christian life successfully because that's just kind of where you'll just stall out until you realize that Christ did that so that he could give his life to you so he could live his life through you. And I think those three phrases are a pretty good summary of what the Christian life is and how we live it. So if you have not jotted that down before, do it. Put it somewhere in your Bible where you won't forget it. Refer to it regularly. And we'll come back to that. As we think about him living his life through us, we looked at John chapter 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remember in that passage she talked about the fact that You can't bear fruit in your life. You can't produce spiritual fruit in your life unless you are connected to Him. 
Jesus is saying, my life must, must flow through you so you can produce my character. My character will not be seen in your life and through you unless you live your life connected to me. And that's about relationship. That's about daily fellowship. And when I pay attention to that relationship, and I try to nurture that relationship by spending time alone with the Lord, I find that His character is produced in my life. And when I neglect it, it's not His character that comes through, but it's mine. And mine is not always so lovely. By the way, neither is yours. Consider this. We only become healthy, growing Christians through a personal and dynamic relationship with Jesus. There's so many years of my life where I felt like the Christian life, basically God said live this way, so I'm going to do my best to live that way. And I tried to the best of my ability to live that way in my own strength. I failed. And I failed. And I failed. And I failed. I'm sorry, but every, every year I'd go back to camp, throw another branch on the fire, try harder the next year. And then I remembered. One day I learned. It's only through Christ and His strength in my life and my relationship with Him that I can live the way He wants me to live. So my focus changed from trying to do the best I could to focusing on Him and loving Him and having a relationship with Him. And that is, I believe, the secret of the Christian life. Fact number three. The life I live in the body, the idea is this, it's a struggle. Sometimes the Christian life is a struggle. I've already referred to that. Have you discovered that? Um, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of your sinful nature or your flesh. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want to do. There is a struggle that goes on in our lives between the flesh and the spirit. We are redeemed people living in bodies that are programmed to satisfy self. Literally programmed to eventually self-destruct. The struggle between the spirit and the flesh is real. Paul talked about that in Galatians chapter 5 as we have already seen verses 16 and 17. And he says there, you don't have to live according to what your old nature or your flesh wants. You have the potential to set that aside and to live the way the Spirit leads you to live, the way God leads you to live. And so in verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, 
faithfulness and self-control. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not live according to the flesh. You will live according to what the Spirit, what God wants in your life, not what yourself wants and dictates to you. It's interesting in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, the Apostle Paul uh, referred to this struggle. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I hate. But what I hate, I do instead. It's another way of saying what he said in Galatians. It's a struggle at times. Now, I believe the Apostle Paul in that passage of Scripture is basically describing what it is like for a Christian to try to live his Christian life in his own strength. He does the things he doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to do the things he knows he ought to do. And there is that struggle that goes on. And this passage in our, in our study of that reminded us of that struggle. We are redeemed people who, though we have received life through Jesus, still battle the old programming. The older you were when you came to faith in Christ, the stronger the old programming was. Um, now, I came to know the Lord as a boy. And I believe I truly did. The, the old programming had not had that many years to really develop a real strong foothold in my life, but it was there nonetheless. Nobody had to teach me to want it my way. It was there automatically. And it was demonstrated in certain ways. And it battled against what the Spirit wanted in my life. The old programming sometimes interferes with our growth toward Christ-likeness. But the good news is this. We can grow spiritually in spite of that old programming, in spite even of our personal failures. I used to think that, you know, when you were already walking with the Lord, everything was great. And you never had difficulties and problems in your life spiritually. So you either lived your entire life in that realm or you lived your life over here in this realm of spiritual failure. I really believe that the truth is that even when we are going through struggles spiritually and even when we are failing, we can grow. Because we grow through our failures. We do that physically. How did you learn to ride a bike? By jumping on a bicycle and just zoom, going? No, you probably fell and bruised and scraped your knees and elbows and everything else along the way. Just like when you learned how to walk as a baby. Do you remember that? Probably not. Your parents do. How does a baby learn to walk? By crashing and burning. I've met very few kids who just took off one day and never fell down. They stagger around. The parents are running around behind them, you know, trying to hold them up. Then they graduate to a bicycle eventually, and you got the same thing. Dad running alongside, trying to keep you from falling over. 
I'm reminded in Scripture of people like Abraham. Abraham was called a man of God, a man of faith, and yet he failed a number of times in his walk with God. But he learned something through those failures. How about the Apostle Peter? Did he ever fail? Oh, yeah. Remember during the trials of Jesus, he denied Jesus three times? And yet here he turned out to be the rock, Peter, the rock, the one who presented the gospel on the day of Pentecost, and it was that gospel message that became the cornerstone of the church. And thousands of people came to faith in Christ. He grew through his failures. So do you and so do I. And it's a tragedy when we don't. We just keep on failing. That's not the way God planned it. Failure is how we learn that our flesh, our own strength is weak. That it's too weak to live the Christian life on our own. And we've got to fail a few times to get that through our thick noggins. And to learn that we need to draw near to Jesus on a daily basis in order to live the way he wants us to live. Maturing Christians are honest about their struggles. Please, if you're a new believer, don't try to fake it. When you're struggling, somebody asks you how you're doing, say, you know, would you pray for me? Because I seem to be struggling with this or with that. And if the Christian you talk to is honest, they'll say, well, join the club. I'm struggling too. We all struggle in some area of our lives. And it's through those struggles that we learn and we grow. Maturing Christians admit that they at times have attitudes and demonstrate through their actions that they may be Christians who are saved by the grace of God, but they are still in process. They are still growing. Growing Christians, maturing Christians... Continue to work at the relationship. The tragedy is when we as Christians try to substitute and fake it and keep on trying to fake it when we're struggling. I always remember when I come across this point in my thinking of a brother that I knew in Boise. Damon knew him as well. Uh, he was a Christian working in our church. He had grown up in the youth group in one of the churches at Boise. I was his youth pastor when he was growing up. He got married, went off to Liberty College, Christian College. One of the, I think it's the largest Christian university in the world now. He wanted to prepare for the ministry. Ran into some difficulty there, came back, got involved in our church. He and his wife had four kids. And one day his wife called me on the phone in tears and said that her husband had come home and told her that he was leaving her and the kids. He had met a gal at work, and uh, he was going to move in with her. So on that same day that I heard it, I made a telephone call, and I got a hold of him, and I went and sat down with him and had lunch with him. 
and talked with him about the whole situation. That was a tough conversation. I will never forget his words to me, and I've shared these words with you in the past, but I'll share them again. He said, Pastor, he said, I have tried and tried and tried to live as a Christian. And I've come to the conclusion that I can't. I have therefore concluded that I must not be one of God's elect. Boy, you talk about words that cut to your heart as a pastor. Somehow he had picked up on the doctrine of election, but had missed what it meant to be a Christian and how to live. Satan will see to it in your life that that kind of confusion is there. And you may focus on certain big ideas of theology and miss the simple facts of the gospel and what it means to be a Christian and what a relationship with Jesus Christ is and what it looks like. Living the Christian life is sometimes a struggle. So don't try to live it on your own. That's why you need your church. Sometimes I run across Christians who think that they are lone rangers and they can make it on their own. You can't. We need each other to encourage each other and to pray for each other and to be honest with each other and not try to fake it. Fact number four, it's a process. This is implied in his words in this verse, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live my life daily. That implies a process. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we learn through our failures. One of the things we learn is to live by faith in what Christ has provided for us. What He has promised us. Who we are because of our relationship with Him. How God sees us because of our relationship with Him. And we may have just had these as theological facts that we've just somehow parked them in our brain, but we have never learned to transfer those in a practical way to the daily issues that we face in our lives. And in this process, we learn to trust Him as we go through our trials. We learn to trust Him with our families. We learn to trust Him with our finances. We learn to trust Him with our jobs. We learn to live by faith. And we grow in our faith. You see, your growth as a Christian has not as much to do with what you know about the Bible as it does with your ability to trust God when the rubber meets the road in your life. I've known all kinds of Christians in my experience as a pastor who knew a lot of Bible facts 
who had difficulty in trusting God with the real issues of their life. And it is a process. Remember Abraham? When he started out, basically, he was an idolater, the Bible says. God called him and said, Abraham, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And Abraham went. And step by step in his life as you study, you see growth. And it is a growth of faith, learning to trust God. Same thing is true in the New Testament, as I've already mentioned, of the apostle Peter. That growth was a process. Listen, we all start our Christian life as immature babies. And we are programmed by our old nature to do things our way. Little or no thought of God's way. But over time we learn to seek his way, not ours. And the reason we learn to seek his way, not ours, is because we have learned that we can trust him with our lives. One of the things that connected with this process, not only are we learning through our failures to live by faith and what Christ has provided for us, but we also learn that God is not in a hurry to mature us. God is more concerned that you mature than how quickly you mature. And God will sometimes allow things in your life that will cause you to cling to Him and run to Him so that you can learn to trust Him and so that you can grow. But sometimes, as baby Christians, when that happens, we resist those things in our lives instead of embracing them because we see them as opportunities to grow. Some of us struggle longer than others in this process. It's just hard for us to get it. We are sometimes stubborn, bullheaded people. And God continues to work on us, and He doesn't give up. He wants us to get it. He wants us to learn to trust Him. Because if we trust him, we will obey him. If we don't obey him, it's probably because we haven't learned to trust him yet with stuff. You know, it's very practical areas of our lives. One of the things that a lot of Christians struggle with is the issue of giving to the Lord. And they can't say, well, how can I give what I can't seem to make ends meet as it is? God says, well, trust me in this. I'll bless you. I'll provide. Until people are sometimes able to make, take that step of faith and trust what God has said, it's difficult for them to grow in that area of their lives and grow towards maturity because they haven't really learned to trust him, and therefore it's difficult for them to obey him in that area. If spiritual growth was only a matter of knowing Bible verses, if spiritual growth was only a matter of memorizing Christian songs, Saul of Tarsus would not have had to spend four years in the desert of Arabia learning 
to trust God in developing his personal relationship with Jesus. Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee before he came to faith in Christ. He was as religious as anybody could ever be. And he lists all of those religious accomplishments in the New Testament and says, you know what those things were? They were rubbish. They were nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ personally. And he prays and cries out, Oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. He had that continuing motivation in his life as he worked through this process. And here he is as an apostle, wanting to draw closer and closer and closer to the Lord. Even as he came to the end of his life. Spiritual growth happens as we learn to apply God's truth to the real issues of our lives. And trust Jesus to change us. Today I want to conclude with a couple of questions. As we have reviewed these facts that we've studied, number one, we have been crucified with Christ. His death counts for us. He lives in us. We live by faith in the Son of God as we work through the process of spiritual growth. And the idea that it is a process, and that process sometimes involves a struggle. I ask you this question this morning Are you a Christian? Well, you might be religious. I mean, I, I can't see people's hearts. You might be coming to church and never personally put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want to remind you that the real issue is not, did you walk an aisle 40 years ago? Or did you pray a certain prayer 20 years ago? The real issue is, does Christ live in you? 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son does not have the life. The issue is, do you have the life? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with him that is dynamic and personal? If not, the good news is today, you can have that life through faith in Jesus Christ. And I challenge you to trust him. I have known the Lord for a lot of years now.
Now, I can tell you from my experience, there's no way I would want to live my life without him. There's no way I would want to live my life on my own. I try to think what I'm going through right now physically, what that would be like without Jesus. I was thinking today, what would it be like without my wife and my kids and my grandkids and my church family? That would be tough. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who go through the cancer thing without having any support group. But then it dawned on me, what would it be like without Jesus in my life? I can't imagine that. And I can tell you from personal experience, he has never left me alone. He has never failed me. And I would just challenge you today, don't try to live your life without Jesus Christ. Not only does that affect your eternity and where you spend eternity, it affects your ability to live and function as a human being as you live life on this planet. And if you've never trusted in Christ alone for salvation, today you can. And it's through faith in Him, simple childlike faith, that you can enter into a relationship that is ongoing and dynamic and personal. Second question. If you answered first, uh, yes to the first question, I ask you this second one. Are you a growing Christian? Are you learning that your ability to live for Jesus comes only from your relationship with Him? Without the connection, without the daily relationship, the ability is not going to be there. And I can't count on that connection yesterday. That's the whole thing. It's a daily deal. And that's my part in the relationship, to draw near to the Lord, to receive from Him the life that He wants to give. If you are a Christian, don't try to fake it. Draw near to the Lord. Draw near to Him. Do your part in developing that relationship. Let the Lord nurture you. Let the Lord nourish you. Then you'll be a healthy, growing Christian. The Lord doesn't need any more stagnant, unhealthy, ugly, negative Christians. Lord knows there's enough of those around. What the Lord wants is people who demonstrate love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the character qualities of Jesus Christ. And because of our relationship with him, we have the ability to live life that way. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we confess to you that some of us have substituted trying to live as a Christian in our own strength, according to our own abilities. We haven't done very well. We confess to you today, Lord, that we need you in our lives. Lord, help us to think about the facts that we have discovered in the last couple of months about living the life. And Lord, help us not to just file those things away somewhere in the back of our brain, but to continue to cement those biblical facts in our lives and never forget them. Lord, help us to draw near to you in these days to draw from you the life that you want to give us so you can live your life through us. We ask this in your powerful name. Amen.